United States Secretary of Treasury Janet Yeltsin, on behalf of President Biden, wants to impose a tax on unrealized capital gains. A New York Times headline recently read, Proposed Tax on Billionaires Raises Question, What is Income? So I read the entire article, and at no point in the article did the New York Times address the question, what is income? So I'm going to answer that for you right now. The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. I'm the author of the book, Income Tax Shattering the Mist, which is the result of a 17-year deep dive into the origins of the income tax from 1895 all the way through the 21st century, as well as focusing on the question, upon whom has Congress actually imposed the income tax? And perhaps more important than that, who has Congress not imposed the income tax upon? The point being that I am one of the national experts at the history and particulars of the income tax. So let's talk about what the definition of income actually is. A couple of quick notes before I get rolling. About two years ago, I did a presentation on capital gains. Who owes it? And again, more importantly, who doesn't? Second, if you're unfamiliar with the Supreme Court's various decisions over the decades about matters such as direct tax and indirect taxes as it pertains to the income tax, some of the quotes I'm going to share with you may lack meaningful context because you're unfamiliar with what the court was actually trying to say, but just go with it in terms of the definition of income, which is what we're talking about. Whenever we consider the income tax, there are three factors or three elements that bear upon the legality, the constitutionality of income tax. The first is Congress's inherent right to impose a tax on certain people for certain activities. Number two, the slight modification made by the 16th Amendment. And number three, the various tax acts passed after the adoption of the 16th Amendment. The good news is we don't need to get into all that in order to discuss the meaning and definition of income for the purpose of the income tax. All we have to do is look at what the United States Supreme Court has said. Let's start with Merchant Loan and Trust v. Smetanka. Its uh, site, if you want to look it up and read it for yourself, is 255 U.S. 509, United States Supreme Court, 1921. And here's a quote. Income must be given the same meaning in all the income tax acts of Congress that it was given in the Corporate Excise Tax Act, and what that meaning is has become definitely settled by the decisions of this court. Close quote. The Merchant Court continues with this, quote, In determining the definition of the word income thus arrived at, this court has consistently refused to enter into the refinements of lexographers and economists and has approved in the definitions quoted, what it believed to be the commonly understood meaning of the term, which must have been in the minds of the people when they adopted the 16th Amendment to the Constitution. Close quote. In other words, a merchant, the United States Supreme Court, was saying that the term income, the meaning of the term income, had to be the same as in the Corporate Tax Act of 1909, 
as in the tax acts of 1913, 1916, and 1917. Now, the important part about this is that the 16th Amendment was adopted in 1913, the early part of 1913. So, the Corporate Excise Tax Act of 1909 was pre-16th Amendment, and the other three tax acts that the court is considering in Merchant were post-enactment of the 16th Amendment. And what the court is saying is that the definition of income has to be consistent from all, through all of those acts. In other words, the meaning that it was given before the 16th Amendment is the same meaning it has after the 16th Amendment, because when the people of the United States adopted the 16th Amendment, the definition that was applicable to the Corporate Excise Tax Act of 1909, to quote the court, must have been in their minds. The next case relevant to our inquiry is Eisner v. McComber. Again, the citation, if you want to look it up and read it for yourself, is 252 U.S. 189. It was decided in 1920. Since we're talking about cases that were decided back in the early 20th century, I want to take a moment to share that these are still good decisional law in the United States. The Supreme Court has not reversed any of these cases, either in whole or in part. So these stand, as I'm recording this in 2021, as the law of the land. All right, so on to the text from Eisner McComber. Income is derived from capital, the gain derived from capital, etc. Here we have the essential matter, not gain accruing to capital, not growth or incremental of value in the investment, but a gain, a profit, something of exchangeable value, severed from capital, however invested or employed, and coming in, being, quote, derived, that is received or drawn by the recipient for his separate use, benefit, and disposal. That is the income derived from property. Nothing else answers the description. We can clearly see that the court has determined the definition of income in terms of being able to tax income is that the gain or profit from an investment must be, to quote the court, received or drawn by the recipient from, for his separate use, benefit, and disposal. Janet Yellen, really, unrealized capital gains? The Supreme Court has said unrealized gains are not income subject to taxation. Now let's discuss one of the key restrictions that the Founding Fathers built into the federal government's ability to tax. That comes from Bruce Schaber v. Union Pacific Railroad. And again, the citation, if you want to look it up and read it for yourself, is 240 US 1. This case is from 1916. And quote, quoting the court, concluding that the classification of direct was adopted for the purpose of rendering it impossible to burden by taxation accumulation of property, real or personal, except subject to the regulation of apportionment. In other words, the Supreme Court is saying that the income tax cannot be used to burden the accumulation of property, or phrased a way that might make more sense here in 2021, the court was saying that the income tax cannot be used to burden the accumulation of wealth. And this from Bruce Schaber, quote, moreover, in addition, the conclusion reached in the Pollock case recognized the fact that taxation on income was, in its nature, an excise, entitled to be enforced as such unless or until it was concluded that, the, that to enforce it would amount to accomplishing the result which the requirement as to apportionment of direct taxation. Okay, I'll translate that for you. The court was saying that the income tax is an excise. We're going to get into that in a moment. 
and it's entitled to be enforced as an excise until enforcing the tax that's supposed to be an excise actually burdens the accumulation of wealth. At that point, it fails to be an excise. All of the exact, specific, and complex reasons that that is true, you'll have to find an income tax generator the best. I can't do it here in a video. You can't translate 408 pages into a video. So just roll with me on this for now. In those quotes from Bruce you heard the court talk about direct and indirect taxes. So let's talk about direct for a moment. Direct taxes under the federal system are more narrow than the generalized term direct taxes. Direct taxes as that term was meant by the founding fathers when they placed it in the United States Constitution meant a tax on land or slaves. That was confirmed in the 1796 housing case and again in the 1895 Pollock case. And of course, since the 13th Amendment, obviously there's no more slaves. So a direct tax for the purpose of federal taxation applies exclusively to land. When we consider the income tax, there's either direct or indirect. And as we've just discussed, there is no federal direct tax. So the income tax must be an indirect tax. And there are several forms of indirect taxation, but when it comes to the income tax, the only one that's relevant is something called an excise tax. So the court has already stated in one of the previous quotes that we heard that the income tax is in its nature an excise. So what is an excise tax? Well, according to the federal courts, this from American Airways v. Wallace, quote, the term excise tax and privilege tax are synonymous. The two are often used interchangeably, close quote. As an aside, were you aware that working for somebody else or hiring people to work for you has been adjudicated by the federal courts to be a constitutionally protected right? It is a fundamental right. It's not a privilege. So if it's not a privilege, then how can an excise tax, which is a privilege tax, we just heard that from the federal court, then how, come, how can money be taken out of your paycheck to pay an excise privilege tax for something which is, when you do it, a fundamental right? The answer is as simple as I, it's probably going to be disturbing to you. It's because you filled out a Form W-4, which is you attesting under penalty of perjury that you are in this tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of people for whom earning a living in the United States is not a right, but a privilege, therefore subject to the income tax. So you signed under penalty of perjury that you're in that tiny, 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 tiny group of people for whom earning a living in the United States is not a right, but a privilege. Along the same lines, owning a business and performing whatever it is you, your business does for other people or other companies is also a constitutionally protected right, not a privilege. So how is the fruits of that subject to an excise privilege tax, the income tax, when all you're doing is exercising a fundamental right, and of course we've, we know that, that no government within the United States can tax any right, so how is it that what you do is taxed as a privilege when it's actually a right? Well, just like people who work for others, people who own businesses fill out a form W-9, which again is them attesting under penalty of perjury that they are in this small, small, small group of people for whom earning a living within the United States is a privilege, not a right. It's all right there in the law. You've just never read it. But back to the definition of income. Why has the Supreme Court defined income? Well, that's because there 
is no definition for income in the tax code. Imagine a body of law that purports to tax income that never defines income. Yes, my friends, it's all part of the government's flim-flam that's been run on you for your entire life concerning income taxation and what you think it is because you've been socialized to believe this and such, what you think it is versus what it really is when you read the law. And if you'd like to know more about that, a lot more about that, I want to encourage you to go to drreality.news, pick yourself up a copy of Income Tax Shattering the Myths. But I have to warn you, you are going to be pissed off. When you see the evidence, when you see what the law really says, and when you determine what the government has actually done and how they have lied to an entire nation committing what I refer to as the largest financial crime in the history of the world, you are going to be pissed. Now, what you do about that is up to you. I don't know how many tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people have looked at the information and income tax shattering the mist and chosen to leave the system. You, you may not be that guy, but you should know, should you not, what the truth is and that the government is running a flim-flam on you. And while you're at drreality.news, there's two other things that might be very useful to you. One is the Withholding Guide for Businesses, which talks about the truth. It's very short. It's like 13, 14 pages. Uh, I designed it so that people who want to leave the system can take that to their payroll department, to their boss, who, depending on circumstances, and show it to them and say, look, it's just very short, 13 to 14 pages. Give that a read, and then let's talk. Because there is absolutely no way to rebut the facts once you see what the law really says. And for the purpose of the narrow purpose of withholding from a paycheck, I designed the business withholding handbook. The other one that many people will find interesting and have found interesting is the business guide for W-9 and 1099. I hinted about that a moment ago concerning people who own their own businesses, and they're constantly being requested to fill out W-9s, which, when they do, declares that what they're doing is not a constitutionally protected right, but rather a government-granted privilege. <laughs> Yeah, you're probably thinking this is insane, right? But that's what happens every time you fill out a W-9. You're attesting that you're not actually exercising a constitutional right. You are engaged in a government-granted privilege. And the W-9-1099 guide, just like the withholding handbook, details in about 13 pages what the law really says. And people who own their own business have used this to considerable success. When somebody they're doing business with says, hey, man, I need you to fill out this W-9, like, well, not really here. Read this. Boom. End of story in the majority of cases. With all that said, to get the full and complete picture of what the United States government has done, the largest financial crime in the history of the world, you need to read Income Tax Shattering. It's not 400 pages. It's going to be the most mind-blowing 400 pages you have ever read. You have my word on that. Also, if you want to find out about... <laughs> establishment flimflams. While you're there, grab yourself a copy of Body Science. And when you read that, you will learn that virtually everything that you have understood to be true of physiology, with a specific emphasis on nutritional physiology, has been, much like the income tax, just another establishment lie. 
But the good thing about reading body science is you can never get flim-flammed again. Once you read body science, it will give you a frame of reference. Anything that the establishment, whether it's some industry-funded bogus research, whether it's some statement by the United States government, whether it's from the American Heart Association, once you've completed body science, you will have all of the information up here. So as you look at these various preposterous statements, you will, for the first time in your life, know that they are preposterous and it empowers you to make the best and most correct decisions for your health in your life. And by purchasing Income Tax Shattering the Myths, Body Science, uh, one of the handbooks, not only do you get amazing, fabulous information worth well more than the cost of the product, you help me stay here for you. Thanks.